Welcome to the Aaron Wren Newsletter Audio Edition. For more content and to subscribe, please visit AaronWren.com. That's A-A-R-O-N-R-E-N-N.com. Newsletter number 68, Beware of the Contagiousness of Divorce. Originally published on September 19, 2022. One of my principles is to build up, don't just chair down. In that light, I try to make sure that in addition to critiques and big think pieces that provide frameworks and insights to help you understand the world, I want to be providing practical, useful insights to help you live life as well. Today, I want to let you know to beware of divorce contagion. Like many things, such as having children or even committing suicide, divorce appears to have an element of social contagion to it. As Pugh wrote about a study on this, quote, McDermott and her colleagues found that study participants were 75% more likely to become divorced if a friend is divorced, and 33% more likely to end their marriage if a friend of a friend is divorced. So divorce is contagious, and you can catch the divorce bug from your friends, and even from a friend of a friend. Approaching the epidemiology of divorce from the perspective of an epidemic may be apt in more ways than one, McDermott and her colleagues wrote in a forthcoming article in the journal Social Forces. The contagion of divorce can spread through a social network like a rumor, affecting friends up to two degrees removed. Sociologists call the phenomenon social contagion, the spread of information, attitudes, and behaviors through friends, families, and other social networks, unquote. What this means for you practically if you are married is that you need to keep an eye on the people in your own social circle, as well as your spouse's social circle, looking for divorces. When your spouse's friends get divorced. It's said that you are the average of your five closest friends. What I've noticed is that people who are heading for divorce often have shifts in their friend network, such that either A, their friends start getting a divorce, or B, they make some new friends who are already divorced. In the latter case, perhaps divorce is not so much a matter of social contagion as it is that a spouse who is unhappy in marriage will gravitate towards people who are divorced and will validate those feelings. Hence, I think that is an even stronger signal that things have gone wrong. Regardless, if you see your spouse's friends getting divorced or see your spouse start palling around with divorced people, you should treat this as a 911 emergency. This is one of many signals that people give off that their marriage or relationship might be in trouble. My wife is incredibly good at being able to deduce from people's Instagram accounts whether they are heading for divorce. Presumably, the major social media companies already have algorithms that pretty much know when divorce is happening. It also probably helps in these cases that they have access to people's direct messages, too. Now, what do you do if you see this happening to your spouse's friend network? That's a good question I can't begin to answer but you should definitely treat it as a potentially serious problem. One suggestion I once gave someone in this scenario was to make sure his wife stayed engaged with her friends who were still long-term happily married. Potentially, making sure you are ramping up your socializing with other married couples would be helpful as well. Mind your own friend network. I tell you to keep your eye out for an increase in the divorces in your spouse's friend network, but also don't forget to be sure to keep a close eye on your own network as well. We can be affected by our friends and associates in powerful ways that we aren't even aware of. I believe a lot of the so-called political radicalization happens this way. That's why I make an explicit point to read sources and associate myself with people from a range of perspectives. I don't want to end up in a ghetto 
and adopt beliefs that would n- I would not have adopted if I had only maintained more diversity of inputs. Someone asked a question to a panel I was on the other day about what are the good alternative sources of media to the mainstream media. I said that I do read alternative media, but I also very much subscribe and regularly read the mainstream media as well. I don't want to just get all my inputs from one source, or from a group of sources that all think alike. In the case of marriage, I want to be hanging out and being friends with lots of married people. I want that to be the norm for my social experience. If a friend does get divorced, I want to be there for him and certainly not cut him off, but I'm attuned to who I surround myself with here. Unfortunately, in today's world, we can't just rely on the social structures, laws, and conventions of yesteryear to keep us on track. In my grandparents' generation, when lifelong marriage was the norm and divorce uncommon, and sometimes even scandalous, you didn't necessarily need to do much to stay on the straight and narrow. In today's world, where the culture encourages self-sabotaging behavior and the guardrails are gone, we have to be super intentional to make sure that we are not exposing ourselves to negative or dangerous inputs. That's why it's a good idea today to keep an eye out on your own friend network, and also on your spouse's network, to keep an eye out for divorce contagion. By the way, while I've traditionally written mostly for men, this is applicable to married people of both sexes. American Reformer I know many of you read Rod Dreher's American Conservative blog. He also has a Substack site, which is very different in content. It's more reflective, introspective, and spiritual. Some folks I know actually like it better than his TAC blog. It's for paid subscribers only, and I'm happy to be one. He recently had a post with some kind words about American Reformer. For those of you who don't know, American Reformer, where I am a senior fellow, is a nonprofit seeking to reinvigorate Protestantism in American religious, political, and cultural life. Rod had some kind words for us in a recent newsletter. Quote, I had a terrific breakfast conversation with a young traditional Anglican couple this morning. They were telling me about various initiatives they are involved in, including the work of American Reformer, things that are making a real difference and bringing realistic solidarity and resilience. I spoke to a Protestant seminarian who told me that in his seminary, there are more and more young people who understand that we are already in what Aaron Wren has called a negative world, and they are readying themselves for the challenge. It was so great for me to learn about these folks and their work. Evangelicals till now have been cold to my Benedict option idea, even though most of the critics have misunderstood it as counseling total retreat. It doesn't. It counsels strategic retreat to build resilience for the daily battles we cannot avoid. The American reformer folks are intellectually serious Protestants who are not lost in MAGA politics and are not given over to the cultural denial required by the winsomeness strategy. All gratitude to Yoram Hazoni, the NatCon guru, for recognizing that it's time to bring these Protestants into the NatCon fold. I will be paying a lot more attention to American Reformer and its work and spreading their best practices. Talking to the young couple this morning, I told them that I believe it's going to be their generation, they are either young millennials or Gen Z, that makes the difference, not mine. I'm Generation X, and I find that most people my age still can't quite grasp the seriousness of what has happened and what is happening. These young Christians are serious about their faith and idealistic in the best way, unquote. Thanks, Rod. Please check out American Reformer at AmericanReformer.org. We have a journal, run a fellowship program for younger folks like the husband of that Anglican couple, and much more we are working on. So it is exciting times. A final word. You may have noticed that this issue is a bit shorter than some others. I'm going to be busy working on a book project for the next two to three months, and will likely feature some of these shorter, 
but still very important topics that have been on my list for a very long time, but which I have not yet put into the newsletter. Coda. On a summer excursion to Murray Bay in Quebec, Learned Hand met a young woman who, he thought, might rescue him from his unsatisfactory bachelorhood. The problem was that Frances Fink, the girl in question, had been educated at Bryn Mawr. The college had been founded, in 1885, as a WASP experiment in extending the advantages of liberal education to young women who would otherwise have been condemned to finishing school, and it was a good deal more academically rigorous than Harvard or Yale at the time. Its president, Martha Carey Thomas, part visionary, part ogress, was determined that nothing should stand in the way of her girl's realization. Among the obstacles she had in mind were husbands. Our failures only marry, she said. Michael Knox Barron, from his book, Wasps. <laughs>